Tape 2, White Lion Fever Right. Investigations regarding the unclear events leading to the death of Teresa Wyatt, aged 36, in April of 2017. In my inquiries and analysis of Clayton Rodriguez, I was faintly aware that some of his language and descriptions rang a bell in my head. It took some digging and some good fortune, but I was eventually able to find it. It, in this case was an article ran in a slightly disreputable tabloid paper. The headline was some inane rubbish, a demon made me crash my car or the like. Largely irrelevant, taken out of context and twisted as the quotes taken from their subject were, there were certain direct quotes that held some uncomfortable similarities to the alleged final message of Clayton Rodriguez. I have taught myself over the years that real and genuine coincidences are rare, so I believe the hunch worth following. I got in contact with the publishers of the tabloid, confirming what I had suspected. Miss Wyatt's statement, given unprompted in February of 2017, had been understandably ignored as wild rambling, until she was found dead a short while later. At which stage, of course, this vulture of unethical journalism saw that it possessed an apparently exclusive statement it could easily spin and sensationalize into a story. I requested a full version of the statement Miss Wyatt had given them, hoping against hope that the statement in full would be far less garbled than the story as it was ran. It took some pestering, but I'm an investigative journalist. Pestering has always been a potent tool in my arsenal life, certainly never considered myself above simply annoying the truth out of people. They relented quickly, likely to stop my rather incessant emails. I suppose I shouldn't be too harsh to those carrion bird excuses for reporters as... What I received from them was quite remarkable. Begin reading. My name, as you know, is Teresa Wyatt. I'm very, very aware you're likely to twist and stretch whatever statement I give you, but in any case, I've felt for a while this need to get this down somewhere, and it's not like the big papers and the news companies will want this. I'm not entirely sure why I'm doing this, because I'm probably going to be ridiculed, and I understand that, but here we are. What do I have to lose, right? Right. Back to the beginning. Um, Teresa Wyatt. So, up until a few weeks ago, I had worked as a long-haul trucker since high school, so that's uh, just a little under 20 years. It wasn't something I'd always wanted to do, but it was my dad's job for ages, and when I finished school, there just wasn't much else for me to do. So I did my training, got my licenses, so on and so forth, and just kept with it. It's not a bad job at all. The hours are admittedly somewhat nasty. You can end up on the road for eight, nine hours a day, which can be hard. Thankfully, I've always liked my own company. I enjoy the time to think, and the pay isn't bad at all when you've been at it a while, so overall I'd say I was pretty happy with things. The thing I need you to understand here is that, with all due modesty, I was quite decent at my work. 
I wasn't some sort of super driver, but the turnover at my company was moderate. They were pretty stringent with alcohol and substance testing and tough on speeding, obviously. Monitoring systems on every truck to make sure everything was in order. No driving over 10 hours a day, occasional but short rest breaks, everything played by the book. Makes sense, really, you're steering 25 tons of metal. You don't want to lose control for any reason. I've never seen a truck crash, but I've certainly seen the aftermath. The warped metal and plastic melted and crushed into something unrecognizable, and then just the slightest sight of a splash of red. L listen, suffice to say, I know the dangers the job has. I saw a lot of good drivers and good people fact for the smallest indiscretions there. So I need you to understand. I'm not some idiot who drove a few trucks, got high, and hallucinated something on a joyride. I was always a responsible driver, which is, I know, what makes this whole ordeal so unbelievable. It all started a few months back. It was November, and I'm sure you might remember it was a dark one, and a cold one, too. I was finishing out a routine long-haul run from Minnesota to our warehouses just outside Kansas City. Sorry, but do you know what white lion fever is? I, I know that was abrupt, but it's relevant here. I think a lot of people call it highway hypnosis. It's officially called something like automacity. Anyway, it's when you're driving and you enter this mental state where you blank out while you operate the vehicle. Like, you blink, and you're half an hour further on your route. Pretty common, but like I said, 25 tons of steel, so you try to keep spacing out to a minimum. But I'll admit, that's what happened on that trip. To begin with, anyway. It took the better part of two days for that trip, and I was tired as all hell. I pulled back into our warehouse, and at that point you should understand, like I said, I was kind of on autopilot. I'm always careful not to coast like that during a drive, because it can be dangerous, but I'd ran through the process at this loading dock more times than I can count, so my mind was elsewhere. I was thinking about getting home, getting a good sleep. I had a few days off before I was back on work again, so... I was thinking about how I was going to spend my time, really. I unloaded my truck, packed it up, locked it up behind myself. See, the warehouses right next to them have a few garages. Employees leave their cars there while driving, and as I said, I do long-haul stuff, interstate drives. So, generally, I leave my car in one of the garages. Sorry, but forgive me for any confusion here, because this is where it gets uh, unusual. It's the strangest thing, really. I wasn't really thinking much about what I was doing, like I said. In my head, I was already sort of on the road home. I was just going through the motions, really. So it was only when I found that the garage I stood in front of was most definitely not the one in which my car was that I snapped back. I paused for a second. Somehow, I knew then that the garage door wouldn't be locked. It was odd, but curiosity and something else got the better of me and I decided to just let things happen. I was still in control of my physical movements here. It's like when you get into a routine of, I don't know, uh, getting up and walking to the bathroom, tapping the password into your phone or something. Like, your body knows what you're doing, so you don't really need to. But here, it wasn't me. I was carrying out the motions by instinct, but I don't think it was my instinct. I don't know whose it was, and part of me is quite sure I don't want to. So I opened up the garage door. Inside, in what felt like a little bit of an anticlimax, was a white van. It looked new. That's the best word for it. 
spotless, shiny, white coat of paint, crystal clear, unblemished windscreen and windows, like it had just rolled out of a dealership into this garage for me. No license plate, I remember, but that didn't strike me as odd. I mean, no odder than this whole situation. Again, acting on that strange instinct, I walked over, slowly. The keys were nestled behind the back left wheel, which was just something I knew. Retroactively, it was very odd that I didn't open the back doors and check exactly what was in that van. It occurred to me, but I got the strangest feeling that I wasn't supposed to do something like that. I really can't explain that, but like I said, I was just going through the motions, the plan was well over my head. I did something that you can likely guess right here, we got in. Opened the driver's side, hopped in, started the engine. Felt as new and as clean as it had looked, engine was running as smooth as I'd ever felt anything run. I pulled out without thinking about what I was doing, and I found myself driving southbound, uh, out towards Lawrence, I think. It was about a half hour into this journey that the bizarre nature of what was happening sunk in again, and I snapped back to myself like before. I was stunned, obviously. I was sitting in an unmarked and unregistered and most definitely illegal van. I was driving to God knows where with God knows what on board in the back. That's the thing. I had cargo. Plenty of it. I could feel it in the weight of the vehicle and the handling. And I guess I'd say I was probably pretty close to the weight limit for the van. If you're wondering what I was carrying, I can tell you I'm sorry, but I have no idea. I didn't then and I don't now. Anyway, like I said. There was this moment of realization that this was insane. I just stopped the van. I was almost surprised I could do that, that whatever compelled me could just be ignored for a second. The road was empty at that point, it was getting late. I was still a little way from Lawrence, closer to this town called Yarmouth I'd been in once or twice, and the road was hemmed in on either side by tall grass and miles of farmland. It was quiet enough that I didn't really bother pulling off the road. Looking back, it was quite fortunate that I hadn't, because it was at that point that I saw him. He, or it, no, I'll, I'll stick with he, was a man, standing in the grass. I say standing because there isn't a better word. It didn't look natural. At the time, due to the hunched appearance he seemed to have, I assumed he was crouching. He looked unkempt. His face was caked in mud and some indiscriminate stains, his hair was no cleaner, stringy and long. It looked like he hadn't seen a brush or clean water in a decade, let alone been cut back. It was down to his shoulders, I think. No idea what age he was, he just didn't really seem to have any feature that indicated something like years. I couldn't see him that well and he wasn't moving, just staring in my direction. He wasn't staring at me, per se, it was like... When you hold up a finger in front of your eyes and you look at something a few meters away, you know the finger is there, you register it, but you aren't looking at it. That's what it was like. I just knew somehow that while what he was looking at was where I was, it definitely wasn't me. I gunned the engine. What the hell was I supposed to do? He was creepy. I didn't know what he was, and I don't know now, but I knew he was bad. Wrong. I didn't relax or really think until I was a few miles away. Again, I'd been following this weird internal compass, just driving. I decided to just let it all happen. I, I know that sounds odd and sounds ridiculous, but I was confused and tired and I, I should have been scared. I'm not a brave person. God, I mean, I cry in horror movies. But I wasn't scared. 
I knew that fear was the appropriate response, and I didn't ever feel it. I just decided I would let this inexplicable instinct guide me. If I stopped and tried to think and regain control, I felt I'd be paralyzed, so I just didn't. After another little while, I stopped. I was at this small house, pretty nondescript, detached, a little bit dilapidated. A shack is likely the better word. I pulled the van up. I sat there. Instinct, or whatever the hell it was, told me to wait. I waited. A few minutes later, a small, beaten-up pickup truck arrived. I'm not sure the make or the model, as these things are fuzzy, foggy somehow, but it was so rust-covered I thought it was a miracle it was still running. It looked old, too. Maybe a 1970s? Uh, a man got out. I was half expecting something terrible, something worse than that thing I'd seen in the grass, but no, just a man. He was tall, maybe around 6'2", average build, short black hair, wearing a plain t-shirt and blue jeans. So, all in all, just pretty normal. He walked up to the window and gestured for me to roll it down so I could talk. I did. What else could I do? It was only when he spoke that I realized something about him, about his manner. He wasn't scared, as I was starting to be. He was just wary. Every move I made, he was locked on like a hawk. It wasn't uncomfortable, wasn't invasive. He was just being careful. That's definitely the impression I got. He walked over and he flashed the beam of his flashlight right into my eyes. I flinched back and he sighed. It wasn't disappointed or angry or anything like that. It was somewhere between relieved and tired. He apologized. It didn't sound at all genuine and it was pretty clear what he'd done had been intentional, but it was the least weird thing happening to me in that moment, so I just let it go. Didn't introduce himself or anything like that, just said he could take it from here. He seemed to be all business and a little irritable, like I was late or behind schedule. Then he told me, um, take the van back where you found it. Don't go the same way. From what I know, it's probably a good idea to give that path a wide berth. He walked around the back and unloaded. I don't know what he unloaded. I never got out to help. From the noise, I would have said crates or pallets, heavy and wooden, I could hear them scraping. I... No, I could have helped him, but that didn't feel right. After that, he just got back into the pickup. Uh, I heard him pull away without even another word. It was at that point it all just snapped. Whatever had been suppressing my panic, whatever had been keeping me cool and calm and driven, it was just gone. I think I cried. Just sat there for God knows how long. In the end, I drove back to the warehouses. Took that man's advice giving the road where I'd seen that thing a wide berth. Bypassed that entire road work, I think. Cost me about six hours, that's how careful I was. Still think it was worth it. I arrived back into the warehouses, dumped the truck in the same garage, picked up my car and drove home. Just like that. I hit the bed and I was out before you know it. It was about 8am by that point. I didn't wake up until 11pm the next night. Never been that tired, that drained before. I went back into work that weekend, and life just went on. It's funny, I think, how the mind sees what it wants to. I still don't quite know in those weeks what it was that I convinced myself had really happened. It couldn't have been a dream. Like I said, I don't do drugs, I rarely drink, so I hadn't tripped out on something sharp and hallucinated. I know how strange this sounds, but I just 
decided that I wasn't going to think about it. Simple. And for slightly over a month, that actually worked. It happened again, as I'm sure you can guess. This time, it was a little different. I'd made a similar run, arriving into the Kansas warehouse around 10. I unloaded my truck, packed it up, and I was relieved to find myself automatically walking to my own car. I was less relieved when I saw that sitting next to my car was a dark, aged-looking wooden crate. It was a box, really, maybe two feet by two feet. Looking at it, I felt that same compulsion, but it was different this time. The first time I had a choice in the matter, to a degree. I still think I made a decision that day in front of the van, but this was something different. The urgency I felt looking at that crate, the sheer anxiety, the fear, it was awful. I put the crate in the back seat. I couldn't do anything else. The first time around, it was like this thing was steering and I was at the pedals. Now, I wasn't even in the driving seat. It was just happening. I peeled out. I nearly hit the gate in my inexplicable rush and I gunned it down the road. Same route as before, I was terrified. Whatever it was, the first time, it had suppressed my fear. It didn't seem to bother with that, not this time around. I was so, so afraid. When we reached that stretch of road, I was even worse. I was glancing constantly at every shifting patch of grass in the stiff January wind. Every time a bird took off from the fields, I would stifle a scream. I've, just, I've never been that scared in my life. I rounded a corner and I had to slam the brakes, because there, in the middle of the road, just lying in this pool of blood, were two dead cows. They were brownish-red, but uh, they could have been anything under the wounds, I think. My God, if I live to be one hundred, I guarantee you I will not forget those wounds. The best way I can explain this to you is that these poor animals had been torn. I remember when I was young, I had a cat. It was bored and too energetic, and one day it leapt up the living room curtains and just slid down, shredding eight jagged holes into them. That's what had happened to these cows. They were ripped, slashed, just brutalized. I nearly got sick. It was partly the shock and partly the fuzziness my brain always took on during my expeditions, but it took me far too long for me to see this for what it was. It was rudimentary and crude, but... It had been put together by something that was animalistic, yes, but not stupid. Not at all stupid. When I saw something behind the carcass's shift, I knew what I was looking at. A roadblock. That thing, that man from before, stood up from behind the corpses. I think it had been lying on the ground in the blood. It was slow and jerky and measured. I'd never seen it move, but... There was something deeply wrong with the way that that thing shifted itself. I could see every muscle and tendon in its leg shift and flex individually as if for every step it took it had to manipulate the muscles one by one. There was something so unnatural in it, something obscene. I was paralyzed with fear. I always thought that that was a turn of phrase or an exaggeration, but I could not move. The thing that had looked like a man leaned forward slowly, and this is absurd, I know, if it wasn't so horrifying, it would have been comical. It started to crawl towards me, leaning its head up, and it never broke eye contact. It was then I noticed it. Something small stood out to me. It was staring at me then, right into full-powered headlights. It should have been blinded, it should have had to close its eyes. I remember thinking to myself, 
Why are its pupils so large? They were still dilated, like it was dark. It's a, a strange thing to focus on, I know, but isn't that odd? Full, glaring light, and its pupils were as large as they were the first time I had seen it when it was in near blackness. It stopped, about five feet from the front of the car. It sort of cocked its head to the side, slowly. I heard a bone crack, and I saw the tendons stand out as it excruciatingly acted out the motion. It looked confused. It had crawled awkwardly, yes, but with this terrible purpose, and then it got close and it just froze. There was a split second of hesitation, and in that moment, I felt it. A surge of energy, of adrenaline that wasn't mine, and my body acted. Not me, my body. My foot hit the pedal hard. The car jerked forward and hit that thing, sending it sprawling. It bounced off the bumper, scraped against the ground. The whole time, it was completely expressionless. It was clearly hurt, I could see that. This dark red-black blood was pouring from its back. I had clearly done damage. But its face didn't twist with pain or anger, it just looked at me. There was just nothing in those eyes. It was empty. I slammed down on the gas pedal again, awkwardly thumping off the side of the cow carcasses. As I peeled away, I saw in my wing mirror that the beast was standing up. I looked into its eyes then, and as I drove away, I could see the confusion was gone. Now it was anger, just rage. And then it made that noise. To call it a howl would be cheap and hardly accurate. It wasn't a scream or anything, it was just this dreadful noise. It opened its mouth, and this sound just ripped out of it. It was guttural, and it didn't sound like anything a human should or could make. I drove faster. After a while, it seemed safe. From there, it was just like the first time. The same man showed up, packed up again. He was in a definite hurry this time, more so than the last time. He kept glancing over his shoulders. He didn't seem nervous, per se, just, again, that odd caution. Never said a word, just transferred that crate into his vehicle, and off he went. I stayed in Yarmouth that night, found a dirty little motel a ways outside town. I just couldn't bear the idea of driving back in the darkness somehow. I don't think I got a second of sleep. When I set off in the morning, though, I did feel a little better. You know that saying about looking at things in the cold light of day? Well, I'd somehow convinced myself I'd exaggerated it all in my head. Maybe a homeless guy had tried to jump me or something. I know how ridiculous that sounds. I wasn't in a sharp state of mind, which is very likely why I did the damned stupid thing that I did next. I made the decision to drive back on that same road. The thing was, that route was faster. After staying overnight, if I took my detour again, there was no hope in hell that I was getting back to the warehouse for my next run on time. Every instinct in my body told me this was a terrible idea, but I overruled that. I know. Idiot. At first, it was all fine. I made good time. It was a beautiful, bright, crisp morning, and the sky was blue. I could think about all of this insanity later, but as I got closer and closer to the bend in the road where I'd seen that gruesome roadblock, my heart just beat faster and faster. I forced myself to keep driving, though I don't know why, and there it was, standing there, middle of the road. It looked straight at me. I wanted to run it over and just keep driving, but I couldn't, I didn't, I stopped. 
It continued that stare, and however gruesome it had been in the darkness, in the bright sun of the morning, it was somehow worse in the day. It straightened, still with that strange habit of looking through me, and inhaled deeply, that's what it was. Slowly, too. And then it smiled at me. I feel sick just thinking about it. Those lips twisting into this horrid grimace, a terrible approximation of a grin by something that had never really known what it was to be happy. Its eyes didn't smile with it, it was just the mouth. Then it lurched sideways and picked its disgustingly cautious way into the grass, and I got this terrible feeling. It had gotten just what it wanted. I was shaking the whole way home. I don't even remember what happened, but I must have blacked out completely. I drove clean into a wall two miles from my house. I just got out, called a tow truck, and... That was two weeks ago. I haven't seen anything of that creature again. I don't know what to do. I, I can't and I won't just go out there and find it, so I just have to sit here and... Wait. I might start praying soon. Thank you. End reading. <sighs> few things to discuss here, obviously, so... I believe I may have to dedicate a second tape to my investigations, which have yielded some interesting results already. I will be arriving into Yarmouth, Kansas tomorrow morning, where I can follow up on the more interesting leads. In any case, I'll summarize some of what should be obvious. Firstly is the matter which caught my interest, the rather striking similarities between this and the Rodriguez case. Both victims describe a feeling of influence in similar terms, instinct of some manner, the language and experiences are obviously separated here by Wyatt's greater degree of control, but the resemblance at least adds weight to my suspicion there's a connection. As I said, there are few true coincidences, and this one is just a little too unlikely for me to write off entirely. Wyatt was, as mentioned, discovered dead within a few months of giving this passage to the tabloid. She was found a few miles outside Yarmouth on the 14th of April, 2017. Her car hit a tree at considerable speed, apparently with no mechanical fault or impact causing the swerve. She had evidently wedged open the driver's side door and crawled out before passing out. A local farmer discovered her there the following morning, dead, having sustained at some point overnight severe wounds consistent with an animal attack. It was chalked up to a coyote attack. Kansas isn't exactly what anyone would refer to as a hotspot for such occurrences, but Coyotes do exist there, and a particularly daring one could definitely work up the courage to eat part of a dead human. If I can more definitely prove the existence of the strange man identified in Wyatt's account, I will certainly be hesitant to agree with the state verdict of animal attack. The point is, this is far more unusual than Mr. Rodriguez's straightforward, if bizarre, tale. For one, Miss Wyatt is undoubtedly the actual source, if not a reliable one, then there is the matter that I have identified a source that may be of use in determining the existence of Wyatt's bogeyman. I will pursue this and other avenues in the tape following this one, as I do have some work ahead of me. Oh, and, of course, it's hardly worth mentioning, seeing as how every town in this country has more than a fair share of ghost stories and cryptids of its own, but considering the description of the individual's howl, I've discovered something that causes me some unease. From 1986 right through to 2017, the town of Yarmouth, Kansas, has seen, at first glance, at least five entirely unconnected individuals claiming the sighting or hearing of a creature commonly referred to as, and I know, 
This is insane. The Yarmouth Wolfman. I lend that as much faith as I should, but it's remarkably concentrated, I would think. It's a small town, after all. End recording. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of The Outside Tapes. We really appreciate the support. As ever, if you want to find out more updates on our schedule and see extra content from behind the scenes, get teasers for new episodes, you can find us on Instagram and Tumblr at Outside Tapes Podcast. Thank you. The Outside Tapes is a podcast created, written, and produced by Liam Brett and Evan Daly. This episode featured Evan Daly as Alfie Greaves. Thanks again for tuning in.